Welcome to the California Wireless Association podcast. We are proud to say that Kawa has been advancing the wireless industry, helping businesses grow, fostering connections between people, and impacting lives through the charities we support for over 10 years. We'll be coming to you bi-weekly with new topics, education, and lively discussions. Let's dive right into today's topic. Please welcome your host, John Coombs. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the California Wireless Association podcast. I'm your host, John Coos. I'm a senior vice president at Butler America Telecom and a Calwa board member. The purpose of the Calwa podcast is to highlight movers, shakers, and innovators and leaders in the wireless industry. We have one such person who is all four of those things as our guest today. Today, I'm speaking with Todd Boyer, president and CEO of TowerCo. Welcome to the podcast, Todd. Thank you, John, for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks a ton. So, um, I believe we met the f- probably the first time in, in 2009, maybe 2008. My firm, uh, Core Development Services, was doing a lot of zoning work for TowerCo at the time. And if I remember correctly, TowerCo had recently purchased a great many towers, mostly Nextel's Iden sites. And... Um, it wasn't uncommon back then that the site files were spotty, you know, a lot, a lot of hard copies, binders, things like that. And you guys had my team audit every site in California yeah. and eventually a bunch of them across the country uh, to determine whether their uh, zoning was uh, still valid, whether it's expired, how much years were left on the zoning approval. And uh, after we audited them, um, you folks had us obtain a lot of the zoning renewals for those sites. And uh, in fact, I think a lot of those sites ended up uh, being Metro PC- PCS facilities. And gosh, that d- doesn't that seem like yesterday? It really does. I mean, it's a, in, that, was a, that was a big acquisition for us when we acquired the, the Sprint portfolio. And I don't think we realized how many of those CUPs really had to be renewed. You know, back yeah. I mean, it was, it, was, it was quite the task. Yeah, it's funny. Um, David Hockey was our, was our project manager, and he's back with you guys. He is, yeah, he's a great asset. I love, I love, I love David. Even though he likes the Detroit Tigers, whatever. But uh, anyway, so I know you're an avid listener of the podcast, Todd, and yep. as such, you know that uh, I always ask my guests there's a sort of wireless origin story, and if you can see behind me, I I got a few uh, little statues and stuff of Batman and whatnot. Uh, so, but before we do that, let's tell our listeners a bit about you. Um, and I don't want to age either of us, but let's just say you're an industry veteran. <laughs> You've been at TowerCo for 17 years, which is like three lifetimes at wireless there, right there alone. But before that, you were at Spectrosite, Nextel, SBA, and Cellular One. So was it Cellular One that got you started in wireless? And, how, and if so, how did that come about? Yeah, so... Graduated from uh, college from Ohio University down in Athens, Ohio, and started you know going through the job search. And uh, I had two job offers. One was working for uh, Cellular One, and one was working for ADP, basically the paycheck business. And um, and you know ADP, they were going to pay a lot more as far as salary. And I look back on it, you know, my job offer at Cellular One, it was a base of twelve thousand dollars, three hundred dollar a month car allowance. But it was all, it was commission. It was based on, you know, phone activations back then. Mm-hmm. And you could make a pretty, you know, lucrative amount of money. 
you know, if you were a go-getter and, and, and back then there was only two carriers in Ohio, it was cellular one and Ameritech. Sure. Cellular one today being Verizon, Ameritech, you know, now being AT&T. Right. So I just, I thought it was pretty cool and just saw a feature kind of in that business. And I started working with the, the real estate team at cellular one, because back then when we were building sites, we built some of like some fire stations. That was when we were giving free phones away. Mm. And I would go to like the fire station and I'd activate all the phones. So, and I started getting to know the real estate piece of it. I'm like getting to the point a year and a half in this, you know, and I'm like, gosh, it'd be really cool to get in that side of the business to actually offer people money instead of, you know, uh, going out there and selling the phone. So a friend of the family, um, you know, John Cooper, he was working at SBA Communications, uh, connected me with a guy named Mike Belsky. Uh, back in 1995, the big, you know, PCS boom with all licenses, you know, I reached out and um, they offered me a job, you know, first starting out uh, on AT&T project in 95, working in Cincinnati. And after that, they sent me out to uh, Costa Mesa to work on the Pac Bell project. And then I went back to, to Cleveland. Um, actually, then I went to Raleigh, North Carolina to work on a Sprint project. So I was, I was pretty much living out of a suitcase going market to market and then uh got kind of burnt out doing that then i went to go work for nextel communications for a little bit and then uh then spectrosite communications and then um you know did that for a number of years actually headed up the entire sales team throughout the country uh, we opened office out in irvine california mm-hmm. and then uh you know i richard Byrne, who was the former CEO and president for Towerco. It reached out to me about, hey, I'm going to start a company. And that was back in 94. And uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. And I, I said, hey, this is a great opportunity. And so I left Spectrosite. And everybody you know, at Spectrosite said, why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? And um, I just said, hey, I thought, saw an opportunity. Everybody thought I was stupid for, for leaving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it was it was a good move, and I've been there since the inception of Towerco, basically, you know, leading the, the operations and business development. And then uh, back in uh, 2018, I started getting approached by a number of you know private equity firms about kind of going out there and doing my own thing. And uh, I approached Richard um, about buying out our current investors, and because Richard already had already indicated that he was looking to retire, so. I went through that journey and uh, basically ran a process and it was pretty competitive, but I ended up uh, going with Pepper Tree Capital, uh, Ryan Lapine, Howard Mandel, great guys. Uh, you know, I grew up in Northeast Ohio. That's where their office is at up in Chagrin Falls. And, uh, and uh, you know, I'm based in Columbus, Ohio, but I commute back and forth between here and Raleigh, North Carolina, which is where our corporate office is at. But it's, uh, it's been a great, great business. I feel very fortunate to be in this business every day I wake up. So that's awesome. That's so great. yeah, it's, it sounds like you're one of the first tower co employees and probably the longest tower co employee. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I try to, I try to plant roots too. It's just, you know, if it's, if it's working, you know, stick with it and don't, don't, if you find a home, you know, it's, it's kind of a neat thing in wireless when you find a real home. Yep. So, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, so let's talk, you know, you are first, you're my first guest in the last year and a half that I've been doing this. Um, that is really a a, a a leader of a tower company. I mean, I've had people from Crown on and stuff that have yep. different roles in um, 
in the tower business, but nothing, nobody in your slot. So thank you very much. And so, you know, when I talk to people about our industry, they'll say they're from outside the industry. I try to like explain, you know, the carriers are this, and they, they're familiar with that, of course, because they got cell phones and, you know, they see advertising for Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, et cetera. And, but they don't know that there's this whole industry behind behind it, uh, which is, you know, what you guys do. And so what I try to explain to people is like, well, it's basically a real estate business. It's like, uh, instead of an owner of a building renting to tenants, um, you know, like the building I'm in now, we're, we're renting space from an office park and it's, 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 uh, a, you, you guys are owners of towers renting space to the wireless operators. Is that pretty much, it's as simple as that, right? Is that the best way to put it? It is. It's like a lot of my friends, you know, that are not into business, you know, the way I kind of phrase it to them is the tower business. It's imagine, you know, I'm going to go out there and build a four story office building mm-hmm. and I'm going to build that office building so long as I have an anchor tenant and they're going to take the fourth floor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so that would be a, a built to suit for a building, no different than a tower. And then because I've got an anchor tenant. But then I'm going to market those those other floors and the towers, those rad centers, mm-hmm. to other tenants. So I want to rent out that third, second, and first floor. So yeah, it's a that, that's kind of the way I kind of describe it to my friends who are not in the business. Yeah, yeah, and I think the other analogy might be for you know make it really simple for people because they go to supermarkets every week. Is you're not going to see uh, a supermarket go up, uh, you know, a stick build go up until let's say Safeway is secured as that first tenant, right? Every All the other tenants, like the laundromat and the the subway or whatever else, they come later, but you need that that you need that Safeway there, you know? You need that Kroger there, right? Is that the same concept, right? Exactly. Same yeah, concept. yeah, yeah. Perfect. So, uh, good. That's, that's, that's that sort of sets a table for this conversation. So, the... Um, you know, as I mentioned before that, you know, we worked with you guys on the, on those former Sprint Nextel sites. Um, so what does a tower company consider when purchasing a portfolio of sites from either a carrier like you guys did or a smaller tower operator? What are you guys looking for in the whole package? So there's, there's a number of factors that, that go into it. I mean, location is key. And when we look at location, um, you know, we look at the barrier entry, you know, so if, if sites have zoning protection, that is very attractive to Towerco because, you know, some of the carriers these days, they're very sensitive to their, their, their monthly operating costs. And as we all know, there's been some high rent relocation projects that have started. So that is the, that is the first thing that we look at as far as the barrier entry. Uh, secondly is, you know, is, is there a need for other carriers? So, you know, we've got a team of six salespeople. It's, it's all about lease up at the end of the day. You know, so when we look at towers, we're very strategic. We look at the location, we look at the zoning, we look at the buried entry as far as the terrain, right? So, you know, sites like in West Virginia and out in California, you know, they're very expensive to build, but you might not have like, you know, zoning protection. So stuff like that. And, and if we believe in the lease up at the end of the day, we will get very aggressive as far as acquiring the sites. Um, cause that's what it's all about at the end of the day, you know, and, and I, and also one of the things I've seen in this business lately is there's a lot of new money, a lot of new infra money and want to be in this business. 
and all these brokers will send out a portfolio for a portfolio of like say 100 sites and i look at what some of the multiples people are paying for these sites like no barrier to entry it's like mm-hmm. and, and we just walk away so you know i i think there's some inexperienced uh uh teams out there that are basically just looking to put money to work mm-hmm. so, got it yeah i remember um I, and this has happened a few times where I've seen a tower company acquire a portfolio from either a carrier or a smaller a smaller boutique sort of uh, tower operator. And a couple of the sites are real dogs, like um, they, for whatever reason. And I'm guessing, and maybe you could walk me through this piece, is that you know if somebody's selling you guys 10 sites and you guys analyze, you go, yeah, seven of them are, or maybe five or six are real are real solid. Three are kind of iffy, and two are kind of dogs. You got to factor those dogs into the into the purchase because you know maybe that uh, maybe that little boutique owner isn't going to just sell you the the seven that are cool for you guys. They'll they'll kind of say, well, you you got some winners in here, you got some losers in there. Can you be, you know from a high level? Can you walk us through like? those considerations and, and, and maybe examples of something like that without naming names maybe or something. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that definitely has a, has a, a bearing as far as the multiple of what you will pay on those assets. Right. You know, um, in multiples right now, I mean, they're, they're varying anywhere from the, you know, the mid twenties to the, the mid thirties as far as power valuation. So, mm-hmm. You know, if there's a portfolio, let's just say in Northern California and they're great sites and they're the sites are, let's just say, two to three years old. So they're, 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 they haven't matured yet and uh, they got zoning protection. Those are going to be at the high end mm-hmm. versus is if you look at a portfolio of sites that we have, like in, let's just say, rural Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. Tower farms all over the place, no zoning. Those are going to be in the low 20s. Right. So, um yeah. Yeah, because there's no barriers to entry on those. But that, I'm kind of I'm, I'm I'm not fixated on it. But I remember there there was a site, and I think we worked through it. But it was a site that was considered like legal nonconforming from a zoning standpoint. It was built by Nextel at a school district property, and the city didn't consider it legal. And this is well before 6409 and, and some of those the, the protections that are at the federal level now. And I, you know, if I don't, I think we convinced the city that, Hey, you know, look, it's, it's there. It's, uh, it's not bothering anybody. Uh, if we, if you don't let us utilize it, then it, we're going to have to build something else. I think we worked through it, but it wasn't easy. I mean, th- there's always going to be those kinds of sites in, in a, in, in a portfolio, in a large portfolio, perhaps. And do you just sometimes just go, you know what, this, this one's a dog and we just may eat this one. Or, uh, or we do, it, yeah. We do, but typically, what happens if if you find a site? Let's just say, for example, because we ran this issue before that there was um, there wasn't a recorded easement to get to the site. So basically, the site was landlocked. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we're having to go back and let's just say to BLM to basically, you know, get get them to sign off on that. So what we'll do is, you know, someone like them as as a landlord isn't, you know. It's not the end of the day, but you know what we'll do is typically we'll hold money in escrow and, and allow us to kind of work through that. But we'll go ahead and proceed forward to a closing. But we would just withhold some money, 
you know, if it was like a 10 site acquisition, an example you gave until we, you know, securitize that asset and kind of, you know, clean up the due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't okay. always happen. And, and, you know, we, we look at it as, you know, these other smaller developers out there, you know, we want them to come to us again when they go to, you know, sell their assets the next time around. So, yes, that makes sense. It could be a long-term relationship play and, you guys may just say, you yeah, know, we're going to eat that one for the sake of the relationship or whatever other considerations. Yeah. Got it. So, so, uh, with respect to, uh, lease renewals, you know, um, you know, many of these sites, uh, were leased back in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, 20, 25 year leases, uh, uh, coming up for renewal. I mean, what, what challenges do you guys face in the renewal process and maybe, explain the implications of your tenants you know for your tenants when a landlord does not want to go forward or they're being the landlord's being uh, unrealistic in expectations i mean i'm sure you've got a lot of examples we've we've had some fortunately we don't have a lot of them because most of the sites that you know that we have built organically but through some acquisitions we have inherited some Mm -hmm. we had a site in uh in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, where basically the landlord, basically we had, you know, three years left and they weren't willing to give us an extension or renewal. We even tried, you know, do a buyout. Um, so we actually went and secured uh, an interest in another piece of property. And we ended up getting to the point that we, you know, submitted it, you know, for zoning. And, and when we got to that point, it just, the landlord, saw that we were serious and then <laughs> you know they ended up you know giving us another you know 30 years extended but sometimes you just you got to call their bluff um and so we're very we're very proactive in that um i will say though uh, i won't mention any names but we're seeing because there's 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 a lot of land newer land aggregators out there that are poaching these landlords mm-hmm. and we get approached by brokers all the time and um you know, I, I think um, it's definitely on our radar, but it doesn't seem like it's on some of the other tower companies' radar as mm-hmm. it should be, which I see is an opportunity for us. You know, um, I won't mention any names, but um, <laughs> one of the public tower companies, you know, we thought we had a, you know, um, a handshake deal where we weren't going to be poaching each other's, you know, uh, ground landlords. And um, well, we found out that they went and poached one of our landlords and um, and we, we approached the gentleman who, who's been heading it up. And basically the answer was, oh, we've got a whole separate team that's going out there just kind of dialing for dollars. And we're like, okay, I guess it's fair game then, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I can tell you, if, um, it, while the, the stakes aren't that high when it comes to, like, you know, the services side, like it is for you guys with, you know, putting serious capital to work, when we – doing when we do SIDAC and we approach a property and say, Oh, this is an ideal colo. And then like, Oh my Lord, it's like somebody scooped up the ground lease. Somebody else owns the tower. It, it, it's such, it's, it becomes a, a, a nightmare for us to, to get that thing done, to be honest with you. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, it, it is. It's tough. And I think, I mean, it does. I think it, it gives you leverage. And if you get those wants, cause some of the landlords, you know, they might take a, a lump sum payout or they or they might, you know, they have an opportunity to renegotiate all the terms. And I think 
where a lot of these could end up going is it ends up being a 50 50 revenue share split you know right right yeah 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 so earlier you you touched on um on bts and build you know the term build a suit and i'm going to ask you about it but uh, i'll try to set it up from from my side it seems to me from you know doing side act for hmm, 20 some odd years that you know the the carriers really aren't in the real estate business. They're in the providing of, you know, quality phone service, internet service business. And we're seeing less and less the carriers themselves develop their own towers and spend the capital on them and go to a BTS model. So when we, uh, that being said, you know, just tell our, our listeners, what is the BTS model and what does it mean to you and and the, the yeah so yeah. there's there's really there's really two types of models one is and, and i feel like you know it it kind of goes in cycles some of the carriers sometimes they you know they they want to control all the site acquisition so um you know and or then then, it, then things change and you know they just want to hand off the search rings but there, there's two forms one is you get the one carrier that might want to control the development where basically they just offer the site to you once they get zoning approval. And then we, you know, we take assignment of the ground lease. We may or may not reimburse them for the due diligence. We order the tower and foundation drawing. We do the geo and basically, you know, we bid it out to a number of GCs and then we're off to races and build the site. The, uh, and then there's the, the negotiation between as far as what they're going to pay as far as rent. And then, the other situation is, you know, and we're starting to see, and that that seemed like the, the more of the trend a couple of years ago. We're seeing a new trend now, um, where basically they're saying, "Here's a search ring, you know, go out there and you know find us, you know, two or three candidates, you know, upload the candidates in their system. RF looks at them, and then once they approve it, then we're going out there and securing the option and ground lease, or we're buying the land, and and then we're basically, you know, running through." Uh, the due diligence and the permitting and taking all the way through construction. So I think a lot of it has to do with um, you, you look at like workforce development, you know, I'm on the board of directors for WIA and, you know, I look back when I, you know, started doing site acquisition for SBA. I mean, you know, back then, from what I recall, John, there was, there was pretty two major companies. SBA was one, then there was Whalen and, um, and there were some other smaller ones, but it just, it, it, the, the site act today, you know, I remember having quad maps and DB sticks and, and you know, getting the coordinates that way. And, and now you've got all this technology and the site act is a lot of it just desktop. And to be honest, it just we're seeing more uh, poor site act these days where they're not just uncovering, you know, and doing all the due diligence. And uh, we're having to go back and basically redo some of the work or find new candidates. Right. Um, from from where the carriers, when they wanted to control the side act versus us controlling it up front. So I think the carriers are finally realizing that because there's there's just a lot of more inexperienced people. And it's because our industry has grown so much over the years. Oh, and yeah. I, I could, for the tower companies to control it. For sure. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like back when we're back in the day, and by the way, I, I got my start at Wayland. So that dates me. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, um, you know, we were doing all new sites. It wasn't like a big mods program. It was 
everything was new. I mean, mods and stuff were like, like one-offs or some EME modification or something like that, you know? Um, and so all that being said is in, the, in, in like the last 10 years, there's been so much activity on the mod side. A lot of the newer people to wireless who are doing the real estate have, you know, haven't done a lot of new site development. Right. So the, there's been, there's been some brain drain on that. And let me, last thing on the BTS before we kind of wrap this up, I suppose is, you know, um, when they hand you in the ladder model, you described with the, they hand you the search ring. I'm, you know, you, how do you guys balance that the carrier just wants to be on air, but you want to find a site with, like you said at the beginning, where this could be an, a, a good anchor tenant for future co-locations, which is really where the, the, the real estate model works out. How do you guys balance the carrier's need for just straight up coverage and your need for a really good uh, asset? Um. That's that's a good question. I guess you know, you know, we built a number of, of sites in rural areas. Let's just say, like in um, you know parts of Washington and in Oregon, um, but there's there's just no coverage. So mm-hmm. what gets really challenging with some of those sites is they end up they get to the point they can be very cost prohibitive. I mean, we've built some million dollar sites. But we're not forking out all the capital. I mean, it ends up being that we're going back to the carrier and saying we need a capital contribution in order to make this really feasible for us to even build it to get a return on our investment. And then we do some creative things where we, you know, reduce the rent or we'll reimburse capital back to them when the next carriers come on. But we've got to get a certain return on our investment for the anchor right. on some of those sites that you know, you scratch your head and say, God, I just, this is really tough to work. And and the carriers generally understand that are willing to work with us. Right, right. That's good. That's good. Um, perfect. So before we close it up, uh, is there anything that we didn't cover that you think uh, our listeners should know about the tower industry? Um, I think the next three to four years, I think we're going to see one heck of a lot of new macro sites. I mean, I've, I've heard from you know, two of the big carriers, they're slowing down their, their capital investment as for small cell. I think that will pick up. But when you look at C-band deployment, um, the carriers at the end of the day, they're gonna get the best bang for their buck deploying as many macro sites as possible. Um, I don't think they're all gonna be, you know, you know, 195 to 250 foot towers, but I think you're gonna see maybe a lot more, you know, 100 to 150 foot towers, you know, in suburban America, uh, to basically solve that solve that problem. So I'm I'm very bullish in the future, and um, you know, I think we're all going to be very busy. That's great to hear. And uh, for those of you who are, have just fallen off your chair. Remember, we're talking about California, Todd. There's not a lot of hundred foot towers in neighborhoods <laughs> around here. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I'll, I'll look at the average. But yeah. I know, I know. I'm just giving you. Yeah, maybe we'll see some 35 footers out here. You know, but because it's all relative to the density and to the and to the population and and also to zoning issues and whatnot. But I would I would like to just add one thing that um, sure. You know, one thing I'm pretty bullish on too is, and you and I have had conversations about this. I mean. Uh, at one point in time, Tarico had a, had a bigger presence out west, and most of our assets are on the east coast. But we're making 
you know, significant investment. We, we acquired a portfolio of towers in Northern California, um, in Eureka, California, and we've got a number of, you know, new builds going on in the Pacific Northwest with the carriers, but, um, we just hired, uh, Annette Helmick. Yep. Um, we've hired Jared Curley, you know, he's in Seattle and that's in, you know, uh, Newport beach, but we're, we're really looking to grow our presence out West, uh, to be a dominant player. Cause I really think there's a tremendous opportunity to build a lot more infrastructure in the West region. So, uh, you'll be seeing more of us out West. Perfect. Yeah. I just had lunch with Annette a couple weeks ago and that's a great pickup and it'd be great to see the tower code name, uh, in the West again, in a bigger way than it has been recently. But gosh, uh, you guys are such a great company to work with. I've always found that you and your people, uh, there's a great culture there of everybody rowing in the same direction. And, um, you know, so thanks Todd for being, um, my guest. And I also just want to thank you for being always so kind to me personally. You know, you've always been accessible, responsive. I mean, you respond quickly to emails. You're down to earth guy. And, you know, it's been great that I've been able to use you as a resource and pick your brain over the years. Feeling to meet you, John. I appreciate you having me. Cool. So, and thank you to our, uh, our, our loyal listeners. Um, and if you guys have any ideas for topics or guests, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. And uh, when you see a post on LinkedIn about this podcast, please consider giving it a like because it helps increase uh, the podcast's exposure. So, and lastly, I want to th- highlight an upcoming Kawa event, which I'm sure I'll see Annette at, uh, is the, so- the SoCal Summer Networking Event. And it's uh, Wednesday, July 13th at the Red O Taste of Mexico in Newport Beach. Until then, everyone, stay safe out there. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you back here in two weeks. Until then, for more information, visit calwa.org. That's www.calwa.org.